E-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At the Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. It's Wednesday, so you know what that means. It's time for your midweek episode here of the Brian Nichols Show. Yes, we are three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday here on the Brian Nichols Show. And, of course, we are bringing you another phenomenal guest, a returning phenomenal guest. He was running for New York State Assembly back when he was on the show in 2018, returns to the show as New York State Assemblyman, searching to get his seat reelected, but also joining the show to discuss some New York State politics. Mark Walzik returns to the show. Good friend, family friend, personal friend, all-around great guy. Um, Mark returns to the show, number one, to discuss uh, what's happening in New York State as it pertains to his approach with him and uh, Senator Joe Griffo to take the New York State Senate and change it at its core to, instead of the current system, have it so each county in New York State is represented by one state senator, thus creating more representation across the board. And then also we dig into this wild and crazy uh, little sneak in a bit part of the, the budget they had here in New York State, where in order to be on the ballot in the uh, the elections going forward, you have to secure 160,000 votes uh, on, on the presidential uh, ticket in 2020. So know that, libertarians, when you're voting in New York State. It's not just a vote for George Jorgensen, it's a vote for your entire party to be on the ballot going into uh, into 20, uh, 2022 and, and beyond. So uh, make sure you keep that in mind, and we dig in that, into that obviously here on the show, and we uh, discuss why Mark, in his re-election campaign, is in fact the best candidate for the 116th River District in New York State. So, without further ado, on to the show! Mark Wolzak returning to The Brian Nichols Show. Brian, it is so great to be with you today. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Mark. You are one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, easily one of my longest and, and dearest uh, political friends, believe it or not, because we go way back. Uh, way back to when you were on uh, a, a senator, but at the time it was a county clerk and then a assemblywoman, uh, Patty Ritchie's campaigns, working all the way as a, a body guy for her and a, as a rep, and then now you, taking the reins assemblyman i talked to you in the show when you were running last time and you won 
one and now you're running for re-election. So how are things going in the North Country? You know what's interesting, and since you've talked about our uh, our political past a, a little bit, I will say your phone number in my phone right now is Brian Nichols, and then in parentheses, Forsyth campaign. <laughs> wow, that's a throwback. That's 2010 uh, assembly campaign. Wow. 10 years ago. You were, a you decade. Were some, yeah, you were doing some help trying to unseat the incumbent that uh, that I unseated successfully way back then. That's right. I know. And it's it's amazing because uh, not only has has that been a decade now, um, but to see you go from you know working on the staff down to representing the district. And that's something that I've always been very you know excited to see is see people like you who they put in the, the blood, sweat and tears and you're genuinely fighting the good fight. You're not somebody like a political opportunist is going out and floating with the winds. And, and we see that too often, not only in, in Washington, D.C., but in, in Albany. Um, so, you know, to see someone who, you know, like you, you're fighting based on principle. That's something that I think a lot of folks are looking for right now. So, I mean, obviously, when you were running for office, we discussed this last time, you were running on trying to get some some constitutional ideas back to the, the, the Assembly District, but also to New York State. But then, you know, I don't think anybody could have ever anticipated a COVID-19 uh, lockdown like we've had across the United States, New York being one of the hardest hit states. So I guess, you know, elephant in the room, you know, it was a pretty bad experience for New York. I'm in Philadelphia. It was pretty rough down here too. Not nearly as bad as poor New York City, but you know, what was kind of your approach, Mark, being an assemblyman from a more rural district, having to look at your your entire district now having to succumb to, really, it's rules and regulations that should only be really for like a city like New York City where it's so densely populated and so forth. Well, look, I, I think it's important to back at the beginning of this thing, uh, when people were very fearful, uh, when flatten the curve was the major talking point, uh, when our shelves were empty of toilet paper and almost empty of meat or empty of meat in a lot of circumstances, you know, there was that panic. Uh, we as New Yorkers were looking and leaning on our chief executive to lead at that point. And, you know, I gave uh, Andrew Cuomo some, some credit while I you know, and the checks and balances guy. Um, during an emergency, that's the that's the time that you need a strong executive. And, you know, Andrew Cuomo is very comfortable in stepping up and managing all situations. Uh, in some ways, uh, having a chief micromanager uh, was good because you got one product. He had those, was communicating very well with constituents, had those daily briefings. And whether you agree with the decisions that he was making in the beginning or not, um, he at least was leading the state at the time. And uh, it was good. And I, I told my staff, I said, you know what? I mean, he's he's doing probably the best job that he can right now. Andrew Cuomo's a hard worker. Um, we give him credit for that. But I said, well, watch. It's going to be whether he can turn that power back over and whether he um, understands that New Yorkers are going to tire and they're going to educate themselves and they're going to feel comfortable in this pandemic at some point. And they're going to want to get on with their lives. So uh, we've definitely been past that point. And I think when the governor is writing a book that gives a, a victory lap to how great that he did, but you still have businesses that are closed or partially open or, you know, struggling and permanently closed. Um, that's when it's time to uh, return back to a representative democracy. Yes. Not mean that you were the best governor at COVID. Yeah, and now the the whole ma the mantra has been trust the science, trust the experts, 
And and now we can say we are. And I actually just um, had on my show Jeffrey Tucker. He's the executive director for the American Institute of Economic Research, AIER. And uh, they actually played host to um, the Great Barrington Declaration, where you had the three leading um, public health experts. And the names escape me, unfortunately, but I know from Harvard, Oxford, Stanford, I believe it was. And basically saying, no, the the lockdowns not only uh, are, are not necessary, but they're quite um, actually causing more harm than they are good. So we need to approach this in in a much more rational kind of approach and much like what we're seeing folks like over in Sweden doing where you're, you're saying, yes, folks who are at high risk, we need to take care of them. And that means you don't send COVID patients to nursing homes. And, and Sweden acknowledged that. They said, hey, don't do what we did. Whereas Andrew Cuomo, it doesn't seem that he could have acknowledged that that was something that they shouldn't have done. It's always casting a blame, right? And I, I guess my 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 hope is that we're going to see more folks starting to wake up to this. I mean, I had um, uh, I'm not sure if you, you ever watched the WWE back when you were growing up, but Kane, um, now mayor of of Knox County, Glenn Jacobs, he was on my show a few weeks back, and we were discussing you know him and and his reaction as as a mayor of a locality in response to the COVID lockdowns and, you know, saying, thank goodness he had a, a more, um, you know, a more level-headed approach from his, his executive uh, branch in, in, in the state in Tennessee versus other states like Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, where, I mean, goodness, we're still seeing, heck, look at California. They still have Disneyland shut down. Disney world been open in Florida since June and there's been no massive Disney world pandemic outbreaks or anything. It's like, we, we have to start actually looking at like what's happening. Right. It's, uh, it's ironic that you chose Kane because uh, he, one of his major rivals was The Undertaker. So um, when you're when you're comparing uh, reactions, I, I wonder if that's one that he's used. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly could when you're talking about nursing homes to uh, to a certain extent, and very seriously. So um, I, I think you're right. The, what you uh, what you point out about leadership, and uh, I, I actually picked up Andrew Cuomo's book. Um, I've you know, struggles of oh, chapters, um, but uh, I'm I'm waiting for the part that has. Uh, here's the thing: people can accept leaders that make bad choices, uh, screw up. There, people understand that when you're navigating uncharted waters, like you're going to hit some bumps and some shoals. And I'm waiting for that part where there's uh, an honest after-action review and say, "Hey." Uh, to the next governor or to me later in my term. If you're ever dealing with this situation again, these are the do's and the don'ts. Um, And unfortunately, I think for political reasons, all of the blame is on the federal government and and none of the blame or none of the the honesty um, about the state's approach to this thing is there. And um, so far that's uh, that's been the case. But I mean, this story is not written yet, um, which is why you can't really write a book about a pandemic that's not over. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a much better handle on it now. We're not worried about people dying on the on the floor of a hospital waiting room and flattening the curve. Um, but uh, we're not out of the woods yet. So I, I think, you know, um, I look forward to uh, some restoring of normalcy. But in New York State, I'm really focused on uh, checks and balances in this government and restoring the legislature to uh, to the co-equal branch of government that it was meant to be. Man, what a segue you had there for me, because, Mark, that's actually one thing I sent you in, in preparation for this interview, is that I was reading a really interesting article on Spectrum, which is the, uh, the, the Northern New York uh, news service, uh, and it was that the lawmakers up there want uh, each New York county – 
to now have a state senator, and that's uh, something that you've been leading, uh, because to your point in the article, it takes you two and a half hours, in some cases, to drive across parts of the district. I mean, people don't realize that New York is not just relegated to New York City, the, you know, the the greater, you know, outside the Albany, you know, capital region, and Long Island, and then, like, you know, Buffalo and Syracuse. Like, there is quite literally thousands of acres of nothingness, and the, the reality is, is that people still live there. They still have, pe- you know, people that need to be represented. And, and to your point, it seems like it's a very backwards kind of approach because now we have senators or assembly folks who are representing folks in districts that, you know, you, you literally have to drive quite literally hours just to go, you know, and, and talk to them. So talk about this, this approach. One state senator per county. How would that look and how would that kind of play as a role of checks and balances for the executive branch in New York? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say the rest is is all nothingness. I mean, it, here's the right. New York. New York City has eight million people and uh, and falling every day. Um, but New York City has eight million people. There's 19, 19 and a half million New Yorkers. Uh, the rest of them all live somewhere else. Uh, they live in Long Island and upstate and in the in the suburbs around New York City. Um, but when you have such a power base, and that's where the political power base is, when you have that big of a block in one concentrated area, the policy is concentrated that way. So um, right now we have a governor that is from New York City. We have a leader of the Senate who's from New York City. We have a speaker of the assembly who's from New York City. Uh, Most of this state is not from New York City. Uh, So we're looking for some balance. And obviously there's been a lot of frustration. I don't know if you followed some of the movements, but there's been a split the state, create a new state, create three states out of New York, you know, separate Long Island and make that its own state, separate upstate and call it New Amsterdam. New York City can do its own thing. Um, Senator Griffo and I believe that we can do better than that, that New Yorkers have figured out how to balance their government um, through politics and through good governance in the past, and we can do that in the future. So, it's, I mean, frankly, splitting the state is a non-starter when you're talking to most statewide politicians. Um, and we think that our government can do better. So as, a, as kind of an answer to the split the state movement, we said, how about if we take the sort of the federal system, like there's two U.S. senators per state, and we say one New York senator per county. There just happens to be 63 New York state senators that their districts are based on apportionment right now or a bicameral legislature. So um, the Senate and the Assembly make up our legislature. And both the Assembly and the Senate are both uh, based on apportionment. So my district has roughly 130,000 people in it. You know, you get plus or minus 10%, but all of the 150 Assembly districts are the same. There's 63 senators, same deal. They represent a bunch more people, um, but they're, you know, based on Supreme Court rulings of one person, one vote. um, They're based on that. Well, the U.S. Senate is was originally and and u.s senators were originally appointed by the um, state legislatures um, and that was to make sure that states had a voice in their federal government a very clear voice in their federal government we're saying the same thing for counties in new york state our counties are continuous continually complaining about unfunded mandates pushed down by albany um, lack of representation in leadership this would guarantee, and it's not really, as Senator Griffo loves to point out, look, we have countywide judges, we have 
uh, district attorneys. We have sheriffs that are elected as Republicans or Democrats, county executives that are appointed as or elected as Republicans or Democrats all over upstate New York. So this isn't really a partisan deal, but when you balance out the assembly, which is based on apportionment with a Senate that is representative of those counties, you're ensuring that all 19 and a half million New Yorkers are represented in leadership because you end up with either a Long Island or an upstate New York uh, leader of the Senate. So uh, we saw that as a, as a good solution. Obviously it's an uphill battle um, where this is a constitutional amendment that will probably be heard out by the Supreme Court um, and challenged, but we wanted to steer away from the, the split the state idea and offer something that could really bring a balance to power in all Yeah, well, that's part of the problem because we've seen every time there's an, an approach to reform the state, it's always been in this dissolution mindset, and that's instantly a losing argument, I think, for half the population because half the population is going to be like, no, I don't want to split apart New York State. Like, there's just something very... Just, I don't know, very dark and spooky about seeing a state just be completely broken apart instead of being able to come to some reconciliation with your disagreements. And and to your point, yes, this is going to be an uphill battle, but at the same point in time, it's an uphill battle I think a lot of folks in New York would say it's worth worth taking. So I guess I'd ask you, Assemblyman Walzik, what's the um, the feasibility? Do you guys see this being something that can actually be accomplished versus, especially considering the past attempts, you know, as terms of breaking up the actual state? Look, right now we're at the, and, and this is the long, this is a long game, right? Because right now we're at voter education. It's great to hop on shows like yours. We were really happy about the, uh, uh, the spectrum news coverage. Uh, we've been writing letters to the editors of different papers, uh, statewide and getting some good voter education about it. Um, this isn't something that we expect, uh, you know, to take up as a resolution with the entire legislature this session or get on the ballot next fall. Um, this is a long road here. And it's sort of on the back burner to understand the politics of it. We all know that this is a census year. Um, the, the New York State Senate flipped from Republican to Democrat uh, last session in the, in the last election. And right now, the, the New York City Democrats are mobilizing to completely remove any Republicans from the table when we're drawing the new district lines based on apportionment. Um, so for for politics at the end of the day, we know that those districts are probably going to look like fingers coming out of New York City so that there's enough of a population base to control it. Um, what those core challenges look like, what our new districts look like, um, the bottom line is one party will be controlling all of that uh, where the courts is the only check. Uh, this conversation is going to become important to every New Yorker to make sure that we have a balanced uh, approach and a balanced government. Um, one party rule does not serve, you know, if it's one party rule that's all Republican or one party rule that's all Democrat, it doesn't serve anybody better. Um, just like the branches are good at checking each other, you need to have that political competition um, that drives people out to the polls and lets them exercise their voice and, and vote for the best um, government. Um, and, you know, coming up on election day, this is exciting as a citizen. Uh, you literally in this country get to pick your government, and um, that's pretty cool. And speaking of of trying to increase competition in the marketplace, because, I mean, that's one thing I think we can objectively all agree on is that more options yields more 
positive results for the consumer because now you have uh, you know the, the different political parties or in this case it was you know political parties having to compete with these ideas but then i see in new york state you have um some some lawmakers who were able to sneak in a uh, 160,000 vote threshold now required for new york state election mm-hmm. law that was slipped into the budget here back in march so uh this was shared by the libertarian party of new york so i'll read it verbatim for the first time ever political parties in new york who want to compete with democrats and Republican parties must get a minimum number of votes for the presidential candidate in order to, in order to compete for the same rules that the Democratic and Republican candidates at all levels of government in future elections. If our presidential candidate does not get the minimum of minimum votes in 2020, the rules for future candidates to run are three times harder. So I I mean I'm just kind of mortified <laughs> that that's even a thing that was able to get snuck in. How did this happen? Albany uh, political hacks. Uh, I, w- I wish I could tell you that this was anything but completely partisan, very strategic, and has nothing to do with good government or fairness in elections. Um, the The end goal of the Democrats was to eliminate the Working Families Party so that they don't have threats from the left and keep the conservative party so that sometimes the Republicans and conservatives split the baby. Um, that's the reason that you see that specific threshold because they think that conservatives will have enough votes to keep that line and they probably will. Um, and that's great. I mean, I run on the, on the independence, conservative and Republican lines, um, you know, worked hard with those parties to keep those lines and, and gone out and gotten petitions. Uh, Democrats don't want more competition. Uh, the governor of our state does not want a primary uh, from the Working Families Party. That's been really troubling to him in the past. He's had some problems. Um, and, and that's exactly what the crux of this thing is. Um, most of it isn't even targeted at Republicans. It's uh, at killing the Working Families Party. Wow, that's wild. Because, like, it's funny because libertarians often feel like, oh, everybody's after us. It's like, no, no, there's a lot of other third parties. And especially when you look at the way in New York State for the election law, because we have a fusion voting system. So you have multiple lines that, like you were saying, you were on the ballot as a Republican, conservative, and in independence party. Uh, not independent, independence, which actually people don't realize is a real political party. Um, but th- th- you have. People in that party don't realize it. They're, they're like, I, I thought I was signed up for an independent. Ah, no and they're getting the flyer saying, hey, give me your membership. Um, but to that point, you can go on that ballot and now you can go into the, the, the election booth and look and see Mark Walzik on three different lines. So if you want to feel like, oh, I'm voting with my party, now you'll see Mark in three different lines versus the system we have right now where, you know, at a federal level, you look at, you know, you have Trump, Biden, now Joe Jorgensen, Howie Hawkins, and then name the other no-name candidates that are out there. That's I think how most Americans would consider that like, oh, that's that's the voting system. So to your point, the, the system in New York has already been made to be screwy. It's already been put in place to go after third party votes, but it's not exclusive to more, I would say, uh, you know, right leaning and empathizing folks like libertarians, conservatives, Republicans. But yes, to to the point, some folks on the left. And that's part of the problem. So I guess, Mark, since it is a universal issue and we're seeing it impact folks both on the left and the right, do you think that you actually might see a, a coalescing between these these very ideologically different polarized groups coming together on this one issue to say, no, this is too far? Well, yeah, Brian, one thing that's interesting, I mean, this is so interesting when it breaks down politically to what the impact is, right? Factions are a very natural thing in a democracy. People that think alike are going to get together and voice their opinion, whether it's issue-based or 
you know, platform-based or, you know, um, this is just our philosophy on, on government and very at its core. Um, I think it's impossible to break the party system. So what its impact is in the long term will really be interesting. You know, whether you end up fracturing the Democratic Party and there's sort of subgroups or you get more primaries out of New York City that are more competitive. Who knows? Um, I think the party bosses have made some calculations here and think that they can um, sort of get all their ducks in a row. Um, and that's the unfortunate thing of it. Um, when you look at when you look at races like mine, I mean, the, the Working Families Party is actually running campaign ads in New York asking Democrats to vote on the Working Families Party line to try and keep that line, right? Um, so they're encouraging voters to move over to that line. Um, my opponent doesn't have that line. So in my race, those ads that Working Families are running targeted at Democrats to move them over to their line would mean that those voters are actually going to miss my opponent. I'm a Republican, so I would benefit from that. You know, so the, the trickle down has, a, has an impact in every race. I tend to think um, factions are inevitable and it is very healthy for a democracy to have third party or as many parties as you want. Um, and you as a representative, you need to listen to those voices. I mean, I've sat down with leaders from the, the Democrat Party, the Republican Party, the Conservative Party, the Independence Party, the Libertarians, um, you know, whatever, Sam Party, whatever party pops up. You know, these people are politically interested. They have a voice. Um, understanding that in a representative democracy, when you go out to represent everybody, is critically important. You know, I'm going to set a platform at the end of the day. I'm going to have a core philosophy that I'm not going to deviate from. But that doesn't mean I don't want to listen to everybody. And trying to trying to tamp down the voices of libertarians, conservatives, working families, communists, whoever it is, it's it's un-American, frankly. Yep, and it builds resentment, right? Because as soon as you're told you can't speak because your ideas are bad, then instantly that group of people are going to start to feel resentful. And and what happens when you feel resentful, then you're going to start to look for ways to get some some vengeance, to get some, some self-inflicted justice. And unfortunately, it's gone the route of politics. People look at accomplishing political power as a means of enacting that vengeance against the people that did them wrong in their minds. And it's it's wild because we can see it so so easily and so quite plainly. It, but at the same point in time, we live it and we see it lived every single day. I mean, right now, if you were to turn on the, the, any of the, the corporate media, you'd just see left and right screaming at each other instead of actually having conversations. I mean, goodness. I had uh, Keith Rubino, who was a Democratic Socialist, running down against um, uh, Assemblyman Smolin. Uh, Smolin? Smolin, in your district. In, uh, the, yeah, it, I forget the name of the district there. Or the, uh, goodness. It's it's really far in the Adirondacks. That's all I know. He's like in Herkimer County. But anyways, long story yeah, short. I think it's a running team. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I, I had a Democratic Socialist and Keith on my show because like at the end of the day, we have to live together. Like we, regardless if one side wins the election or not, we still have to be neighbors. I mean, Michael Jordan put it best. Yeah. Republicans still buy sneakers too. Like, yep. Exactly. And like he knew that in order to be able to not only be friends with those people, but to use it as an opportunity to to better himself. I mean, 
that kind of speaks to like the whole market system. Like that's how it works because I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to have to not only compete your, your goods and services, but your ideas on the marketplace. And as soon as you start to shut down the marketplace for ideas, it creates black markets just like it does in the normal marketplace. And, and we see it happen time and again, but again, we seem to, see both of these two parties continue to gobble up more and more power, and people seem to be kind of, I don't know, tacitly okay with it. So I guess, I mean, Mark, how do we get the the folks out there who I would say are like in the 50% of Americans and maybe the 50% of New Yorkers who just aren't politically active, how do we get them involved and engaged in the political process, but also to make sure that while they are engaged in that political process, they're doing so as educated voters? Wow. Yeah, I mean, you asked the most important question of our time. I think it it starts with our consumption. Uh, What we consume is national syndicated media. Everything focuses at the top, at the chief executive of the United States of America. Um, If you ask someone, you know, give me your position or your opinion on Donald Trump and tell me 25 things that you like or hate about him, you're going to get something. Right? You're going to get a lot of engagement from any American right now. They'll tell you very clearly how they feel. You don't have to work very far down the list, and you're, you're lucky a lot of times with voters if they can name their two U.S. senators and their Congress member, let alone get all the way down to their town councilman that's deciding what night their trash gets picked up on, like the actual stuff that has an impact in their day-to-day life as a citizen, You know who sets their property tax rate, uh, what they're going to pay, you know, when they return a library book late, like <laughs> the actual things. I mean, I know it's really like, but when you select the president of the United States, you're selecting the leader of the free world. It's a big decision. Uh, we as Americans make that big decision every four years when we go into the voting booth. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not important, but it's literally like, it's the only thing that if, if we pay attention to our consumption, it's the only thing that we're paying attention to. I mean, you can develop a, a position on who you like for president of the United States pretty easily, but you should probably be able to name your, you know, local school board members and get their philosophy on property tax. Um, I think that's the key. How do how to get that to voters? I don't know. Keep talking about it on forums like this and every other chance that we get. I think you asked a really important question. I think we need to keep asking that question and having that dialogue. Um, I think social studies teachers and and civics teachers are much better off if they're not, you know, turn on Fox News and CNN in the classroom for 20 minutes and then write what you think about it and much better off if they're taking their local weekly paper and putting that on the student's desk and, you know, encouraging them to go to their local town council meeting and and get involved in that stuff. Um, It's really going to be a a full, I mean, representative democracy is at stake here. We see it in New York. Um, but this legislature that I'm a part of, and, and sadly, I mean, they've really disappointed me at certain points in, in my short term. I've only been here for two years, but they have abdicated so much responsibility to the governor, to committees and commissions to make decisions that are legislative decisions, and they get away with it. The leadership gets away with it because people aren't really holding their legislators accountable. Um, I, I hang my head a lot of times when I walk out of that chamber and I'm like, we didn't do our job here today. Um, there weren't even enough members in their seats to do their job here today. Um, so, but it, it all starts on the, on the citizen, you know, managing their consumption of media, frankly, and educating themselves 
um, thinking more about their representative democracy and the government that is closest to them instead of one power seat in Washington that is either going to, you know, make all the right decisions for them or all the wrong decisions for them. Yeah, well, and I'm seeing it right now just in my numbers alone. Numbers are going up month over month because people are craving this long-form conversation. They're tired of the back and forth that we see consistently on on the, the talking head media. To your point, they don't want to see you know the, the three-minute soundbite. They want to hear an actual conversation. They want to hear the articulated, thoughtful response because... Honestly, I and from my friends on the left, I learn more from them on those long conversations. I mean, I disagree with Bernie Sanders pretty much on everything. Oh, there's a few things we, we agree on. But I listened to him on Joe Rogan, and it was very helpful because I'm able to hear him walk through what he believes and why he believes it. And then it gave me a chance as a voter to now be more educated on, okay, well, when you vote for Bernie Sanders, you're not voting for what you thought the platitude was. You're actually voting for, and here's what he actually said. And then you can, you can sort of say now here, based on him saying this, we start tracing back, you know, different political thought. And you can, you can start to make that progression instead of just saying, oh, well, he never said that. Now you can say, well, hold on. Now we can actually dig into things. And I think people are starting to look more for that. And truthfully, and this kind of goes full circle, Mark, people are looking for the people out there who will be genuine, authentic, assertive, and will, will be you know good people. Good people are bringing out the good in people, and we're starting to see that. The people in Congress, especially folks like, you know, friend of the show, Thomas Massey, um, friend of the show, Justin Amash, when you are a good person and you try to go out there and do good things, I, I genuinely believe it raises more people's awareness to it, and they're more willing and, and likely to do the same. Um, you know, I, Justin Amash, I think he he definitely sparked a lot of interest in people to to consider a third party alternative. I mean, he is the one gold uh, seat in Congress right now. Thomas Massey, he was the most excoriated man in America when it came down time to it to vote for the stimulus package for the initial coronavirus uh, relief bill and he got lambasted because he dare make all of congress come back to put their name on a vote that was going to cost trillions and trillions of dollars and now now that bill is starting to look pretty uh pretty not good and and now the names of people are on that bill and it would not have happened if it were not for congressman massey to say like no we need to do our jobs and and he's he makes the analogy i love it he refers to his congressional pin as his precious and he makes the analogy to the lord of the rings and he says, when, when you go to Congress and you put the, the precious on the lapel, you start to feel the power because people treat you differently. You're walking through the hall and the person at the door will look at you because, oh, you're a congressman. But he says, you take that, that pin off and it's like you, you, the, the eye of Sauron can no longer see you because you're invisible. You're a normal person. He's like, I'd be in the elevator and people would, would just jumble into the elevator, have no idea that I'm a congressman because I didn't have my lapel pin on. And, and he says, you know, that right there, there is something to that power dynamic that has been so built up in all of our institutions, be it at the federal level, be it at the state level, that it leaves people like you, like Congressman Massey, who, yes, you walk out of those committee hearings with your head in shame because you're like, what the hell are we doing? We're supposed to be representing our constituents. We're supposed to be, yeah. at the very least, taking their their issues and bringing them up and discussing them. But we're talking about backroom deals, trying to get people off the ballot, and we're talking about things people genuinely don't care about. So I'm hoping, and fingers crossed, that we're going to get more folks, obviously, like like you, Mark, in, in not only Assembly, but in Congress. So with that being said, what's the, uh, the final pitch to voters out there? I know, you know, we're getting close to an election. We're T-minus, like, what? You probably have a ticker there. Like, what, 13 days, 12 days, something like that? Is it today's Wednesday? Yeah, it is. Wow. 
Thanks. Yeah, so it's it's ticking down, and this is going to be airing the week uh, week before the election. So you you know when voters are listening to this, they have less than seven days now to uh, to think about why they should be casting their vote in favor of uh, yes, Assemblyman Mark Walzik. What's that pitch? Look, two years ago, the people of the one sixteenth Assembly District that I lovingly call the front yard of America because it is the first impression that Canadians get when they come to our state and this nation. Um, two years ago, they hired me to do a job. I've been working my tail off at it. And thank goodness that I did, because this has been a weird year to campaign in. Um, but I was still showing up at everything, proactively listening across the district um, throughout my term. I've been a watchdog on executive power. I've worked every, every single day tirelessly. You know, in, in your last spot, you made me think of a letter that I wrote to my constituents, and it was the opening of the conversation that I had with them. So the first letter that I sent out was a mail piece entitled Dear Boss. Um, instead of merging their first or last name into the piece, uh, we put Dear Boss at the top. And it was to set the tone that you as citizens are the highest in the land. You are my boss, and I am here to serve you. There's 130,000 of you, so look, I'm one employee. I have a small staff here. Please don't abuse me. Um, But it sets the tone. I mean, I work for them, and I've been working for them for the last two years. That means um, being a check on executive power. It means making sure that the agencies are doing their job and giving every citizen a fair shake in my district. Uh, I've worked across party lines to build bipartisan coalitions. I've worked across the border to build uh, by national coalitions, um, even got named recently to the executive committee of the Great Lakes Legislative Caucus. I'm the only New Yorker um, on the executive board and uh, doing some doing some great work to make sure that our water is clean that comes through the St. Lawrence Seaway. There are a few more precious resources to that. Um, you know, I'm a phone call away if anybody has any question, 315-775-8552. Um, and I picked that number up. So um, it's been an honor and I would love to do it for another two years. I would love for them to have you do it for another two years because I, I know for a fact that you're out there fighting the good fight. And I full-throatedly endorse you, uh, Mark, for your re-election campaign. Honestly, I, I am jealous I can't cast my, my vote for you, um, You know, not being a resident of northern New York. But I, I you know, full-throatedly encourage all of my listeners in northern New York to please cast your vote for uh, the one Assemblyman Mark Walzik, the 116th River District in northern New York. Home sweet home. Mark, thank you for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thanks so much for having me. A quick read from our new sponsor, and that is the Expat Money Show. Now, if you are a longtime listener or even a relatively new listener here on the Brian Nichols Show, then you remember our good friend Mikkel Thorup from the Expat Money Show. What an episode to learn that just because you were born in one country doesn't mean that you have to pay your taxes there forever to do your banking there, to have your investments there, raise your family there, or even have your companies register there, learn there, get your kids educated there, or even live your life there. How about that? You can go ahead and live your life wherever it is you see fit. Because the Expat Money Show, which is hosted by our friend Mikkel Thorup, originally started as a podcast but has grown to a worldwide community of entrepreneurs who are living international location, independent lifestyles. Mikkel is focused on helping you live an international life by looking at problems through the lens of global solutions. In this day and age, there is no reason you should let borders get in the way of having the best the world has to offer. So, 
Brian Nichols Show audience, head over to the Expat Money Show today. Give Mikkel a subscribe, a fantastic show, and tell him that Brian Nichols sent you. All right, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Assemblyman Mark Walzik. A fantastic conversation with a fantastic guy. Big fan of Mark. And uh, please, if you're in New York State, do me a favor. Go ahead and cast that ballot for Mark Walzik. Yes, he is a Republican. And yes, I am a Libertarian. But guess what? I don't care because Mark's a good guy. And Mark stands up for the uh, the values that we represent and we, we fight for here every single day in The Brian Nichols Show. So if you're in New York State, number one, if you're lucky enough to be represented by Mark Please go out and vote for him. But New York State, other states, I'm demanding you to stand up and bring forward more representatives in your state governments like Mark Walzik. We need more folks like him. So uh, with that being said, please do me a favor. Share today's episode. It can be a beacon of hope to folks out there who are saying, well, I can't get involved in the political system. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm actually going to make some substantive change. How do I do this, this whole political thing? Well, Mark shows you the path. So please make sure you share this episode with some family and friends. And as always, do me a favor. When you do share it, tag me on social media at bnick. Liberty, Facebook, Twitter, Minds.com, and yes, Parlor.com. Big fan of Parlor. Thank you, Remzo Martinez, good friend of the show. Get me over on Parlor, so go ahead, check me out at B Nichols Liberty over on there. And uh, as for next episode coming up here on Friday, we are joined by Josh Dial. Josh Dial from Netflix's Tiger King. Yes, he is the F the Feds campaign manager of Joe Exotic, but Josh joins the show not to discuss exclusively Tiger King, but life after Tiger King, and um, his focus on promoting that of mental health awareness, a fantastic conversation with Josh Dial, so make sure you tune in on Friday, hit subscribe uh, over on your, your favorite podcast catcher so you do not miss a single episode, and also do me a favor, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating and review, and once you do, take a screenshot of said review, email me, brian at Show.com and you'll be entered into our exclusive Ebels giveaway. You do not want to miss it, so make sure you go ahead and get that five-star rating and review in. And again, email me, brian at Show.com. So that, guys, it was a lot of fun here on Wednesday's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Make sure you tune in on Friday for Josh Dial's episode. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Assemblyman Mark Walzik. We'll see you Friday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.